Welcome, everyone, to the L7C Podcast Women's Gymnastics Edition. Today, we are giving our second update on what's been going on in the world of college women gymnastics. And for that, we have our women's gymnastics expert, Ms. Sarah Bogan. How are you doing today, ma'am? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me back. We had to have you back. We said we were going to chronicleize the whole season, and this is like, Update number two with a whole bunch of stuff that we are going to be talking about today. Exactly. I mean, we're right in the thick of it right now. We're about mid-season, right in the middle. Lots has happened. Lots is still to happen. So perfect time for a little update. But before we talk about the whole women gymnastics as a whole, let's talk about you because you have some gymnastics update as you got to go to the University of Utah's meets in person. Yes. Um, I actually have never, I, before the season, I'd never been to a university of Utah meet. And like I mentioned last time, the university of Utah was one of the first teams to really sell out arenas, um, really build a fan base, really build excitement for the sport of women's gymnastics. And so the experience of a Utah home meet is second to none. It's kind of the gold standard in terms of what you're supposed to experience or what you can experience for a women's gymnastics meet. So actually a couple of years ago, um, they hold their, um, they hold their gymnastics meet in the same arena that they hold their men's basketball events in. And it's a 15,000 seat arena It has a lower bowl and an upper bowl. They work really hard on selling out the entire arena for gymnastics. Um, and a couple of years ago for men's basketball, they made the decision to close down the upper bowl for men's basketball games. So wow. you, the gymnastics at University of Utah gets more attendance and more hype than men's basketball. That is awesome. If that gives an idea. So I was actually supposed to go to my first University of Utah meet. Um, when Utah State was going to go up against Utah back in 2020, but that just happened to be right when everything shut down for COVID. So yeah, I was really excited. It's been a long time coming, being able to get to a meet, but um, I went to one of the first home meet of their season. It was against Oklahoma, which is the reigning NCAA runner up. Um, they have really strong gymnasts. And of course, University of Utah has really strong gymnasts. I actually got a free ticket from a season ticket holder who Ooh. wasn't able to go. He posted on one of our gymnastics Facebook groups and said, I have an extra ticket. Does anyone want it? And I said, yes. So I drove down solo, went to the Utah, Oklahoma meet, and it was amazing. Um, just the energy in the arena, the excitement of the crowd was something I've never experienced for gymnastics before. So there's, really diehard loyalty of the University of Utah's fans for its gymnastics team. Um, and there's also just an overwhelming respect for the support for the sport. Like there was like lots of applause for the opposing team. There was clapping along with Reagan Smith's floor routine. She's um, Reagan Smith is a 2016 Olympic alternate. She's on Oklahoma's team. So she was really fun to watch. And Utah ended up coming out victorious in that meet. So that was a blast to just attend and experience. Yeah. And then this past weekend, actually, I went down again for um, Utah versus Oregon State. 
And Oregon State has one um, Olympic floor champion, Jade Carey, on their team. So in addition to watching all of the Olympians uh, from Utah do their thing, I got to watch Jade Carey do her thing. And she has transitioned into the NCAA very, very well. So um, that was a really exciting couple of Friday nights I spent. So when, I guess, since they're so popular, how much are their season tickets? Oh my gosh, I'm not sure. I think maybe that's worth looking up. Um, Utah season tickets. I know for basketball, it's about $120. Not sure what it is for gymnastics. But yeah, I don't know. That's something to look into. I will say for my single upper bowl ticket that I bought this Mm -hmm. past weekend, I only paid $7. Okay. Because... I guess too, with like the difference between like a basketball or uh, gymnastics is like basketball, you'll have X amount of double digit home games or whatnot mm. that you can go for like a season ticket. Obviously you don't have like 35 meets with gymnastics, like, or like six, do you like, I guess how much is the most you could have in a week? Like if I was someone um, who was trying to buy tickets, it's like, Oh, well, should I just buy a season thing? Oh, hi, cat. Yeah, <laughs> He's interrupting. Just because if they're so popular, then they I feel like from a marketing standpoint, you should really like push like season tickets. Yeah. Um, and there are definitely a ton of Utah season ticket holders. They tend to get priority for the lower bowl. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think they're definitely, I mean, that's a really good point about basketball is um thing about gymnastics is it's so hard on the body um maximally the number of meets you can have total in a week just total thinking home and away is typically two and that happens really rarely but again like basketball you know kind of there's more ability to go game after game after game Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm not sure how much um season tickets end up being i think they have five or six home meets per season depending on um, who's hosting that. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not as many games as you get with a season ticket package for one of the ball sports. Ball sports. But from our first um, podcast that we did together, we were talking about some of the teams. Um, and I know you're about to go in super in depth on like what's happening with some of the top teams. So from the road to national standings that I have up, you got, well, since I am in Ohio, you got the team up north, Michigan, <laughs> uh, number one. Uh, you just had the team you talked about, the national runner-ups, Oklahoma two, uh, Florida three, Utah four, Auburn five, LSU six, Bama seven, Minnesota eight, Missouri 10, and Michigan State. Missouri nine and Michigan State 10. And I'll just stop at the top 10. But we talked about Florida. They were one of the schools that you previewed at the beginning. And also this road to national site is very detailed. I don't know if there's a lot of sports sites that are this detailed because it shows their NCAA rank and then their ranks in each thing, like Florida second in vault, one in Mm beam, five in floor and five in bars. Like, this is a very well done site. So kudos to them. 
Yeah, this is actually a fun fact. It used to be, it was originally a fan passion project. Um, oh. There are a couple of former gymnasts from BYU here in Utah mm-hmm. who started it. And it just kind of has grown and really become a, almost the official. I think it is, it might actually be the official yeah, gymnastics score site. It's really good. So yeah, Sarah, if you just want to talk about the teams that you've previewed, what they're doing, like how they are now as we're in the tail end of February and just go from there. Yeah. So obviously the uh, school up north, as you say, Michigan is killing it. They're the reigning national champions from last year. They were a breakthrough national champion. They'd never been national champs before and they are just killing it. Um, They're going out and competing like they are champions, which is so much fun to see. Um, And a lot of people are expecting them to repeat as champions and we'll see. One thing with Michigan that's really been really cool to see is um, they kind of seem to be raising the bar overall for the Big Ten. So in the past, the SEC has always been really big for gymnastics. Um, Utah and the Pac-12 has always been really big. The Big Ten is a conference that's on the rise. So Michigan got its first national championship last year. That was the first national championship for any Big Ten team. Wow. Yeah. Um, And I want to give a shout out to current team number eight, Minnesota. They are also really amazing. Um, They can hang with Michigan on their best days. They were Big Ten champions last year. Um, beat Michigan in that situation. Um, And Minnesota also has some of the best gymnasts in the country individually. So I believe number one in the all around right now is one Lexi Ramler, who's a fifth year at, at Minnesota. And another person to watch is Anna Loper, who I believe, I think she's been kind of flirting with number one on vault for a while. Um, let me take a look at that. Uh, she just had a 9.96 on the vault on Miss Anna Loper. Yeah, um, and she's been hitting scores like that all season. So She's um, a senior, too. And then Maya's a freshman. Is. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you just mentioned uh, Maya Hooten, who is on floor exercise. Uh, she's kind of one of the floor stars at Minnesota and she does just this really awesome routine. I think has gotten at least 110 this season. And a lot of Big Ten gymnastics fans are really pushing for that to go viral. Um, so she is worth a look. Um, so yeah, Big Ten being on the rise. Um, the Michigan Minnesota dual meet that happened earlier this season. Mm-hmm. A lot of gymnastics fans who've been watching this sport for a long time have said that that's the best dual meet they've ever watched. So anybody wants to go check out a meet find it on youtube it's uh michigan versus minnesota 2022 um some of the best evenly matched high quality gymnastics you'll ever see so yeah that's what's going on in the big 10 um as we move down to the sec question though oh go on because the 10th team is another big 10 team and that's michigan state so how are they they are on the rise so um, Michigan State gets less, um, kind of less hype than some of the other teams. There are a lot of teams in Michigan. Um, you know, there's Michigan, there's Michigan State, there's also um, Western Michigan University, 
Um, there's lots of really good gymnastics in the area. Michigan State, there's been some buzz lately um, mm-hmm. about how they're also a team on the rise. So they've always been kind of hanging in there, but um, they haven't. Uh, I think this might be their best showing in a while at this point in the season. And then as we we're talking about the Big Ten, Iowa is also a really well-respected Big Ten team. Number um, 13 in the country. Yeah. They do great. I follow them a little bit less uh, than some others because they just, it's so hard to keep track of all the teams. Mm. Um, But yeah, overall, Big Ten is going to be a conference to watch. So would you say then right now, conference-wise, are they in the top three conferences? I mean, they have multiple teams in the top 10 or in the top two top four like what's your analysis on that like as a whole conference comparing them to other conferences oh gosh i'm not sure um the size of the conference definitely makes a difference because i know the pac-12 has quite a few teams in the Mm -hmm. you know top 10 top 20 whatever um but they also have many many teams and so there's a lot more variability if you compare that to something like the Mountain Rim Gymnastics Conference, MRGC, which is the conference that Utah State, my team, is a part of. Um, there are only four teams in the in the um, there are only four teams in that conference. All four of them are in the top twenty right now. It's really wow. incredible. So I think it kind of depends on your metric, like what the top teams overall are and what you want to define as being the top conference. Um, um well. I guess for this metric, then like ranking in the conferences, how many of these conferences have teams that could win it all by the end of next month? Like who you can legitimately think like this team can win it all. Yes, actually, there's actually quite a bit of variability. There's, uh, I think, you know, five years ago, this would have been a really different story, but Looking at the top four right now, which um, we may, um, we'll probably get to the structure of postseason a little bit later. Mm-hmm. The national finals are a top four. They call them the four on the floor okay. or the flipping four. Right now, the top four ranked teams are Michigan, Oklahoma, Florida, and Utah. Mm-hmm. That's four different conferences represented. That is, that, yeah. That's huge for gymnastics. Like I said, you know, there's more and more parity and more and more competitiveness across the entire NCAA right now, not just with, you know, like the SEC or the Pac-12. So that's really cool to see. You also said that Florida is actually going through a couple of things with some injuries, didn't you? Yes. So um, Florida has one of the most exciting freshman classes in the country. A lot of people were really excited to see them. Mm-hmm. And Florida is doing really well. They have a lot of good freshmen, um, the most notable freshmen in terms of actual performance at this point is probably Leanne Wong, who I mentioned on the last time I was here. Leanne is the reigning world silver medalist in the all around. And she was also an alternate on the Olympic team this past year. She is doing so well. Of all of the freshmen in the NCAA, she was the first to score a 10 this season. So watch out for Leanne Wong. Another freshman who is kind of notable is Morgan Hurd. She was world all-around champion back in 2017. 
um, was very much in the Olympic mix, especially back in 2020 when the Olympics originally were supposed to happen. She had an ACL injury and had surgery. So she's going to be out for the whole season. And then, of course, there are people like Riley McCusker, who um, almost made the Olympic team, is just a beautiful gymnast, but she's had a lot of injuries and she's just kind of trying to recover from that elite beating that you take when you're training as much as you train as an elite gymnast versus a college gymnast. So they're putting her out on beam, they're putting her out on bars, um, but she seems to kind of be taking it slow in terms of really escalating into the college gymnast that a lot of people are really hoping to see her be. So yeah, that's Florida. Um, They're still doing really well overall. Trinity Thomas is a name to watch. I believe she's a senior this year and she has come really, really close to being number one in the all around in the country for the past three years or so. And her gymnastics is just amazing. I highly recommend checking out Trinity. So there was something. And, I, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to mention, um, you sent me a perfect 10 video. You sent me a video of Trinity Thomas earlier this mm-hmm. season when she got her 10 on vault. Mm-hmm. So, I, appreci- I appreciate any athletic thing that I am not able to do that I wish ha. I could do. Because when I personally, I think maybe my fascination with gymnastics obviously started like when I was like, I don't know, three or five and you were watching like the Power Rangers doing all those Mm. flips and all that. And obviously like some of them are athletic and then you have stunt doubles and wires, but then like seeing real humans doing these flips, no stunt doubles, all on their own athletic accord is just super amazing to me i do want to ask go ahead ahead. yeah oh no i was just gonna also add in like and doing it beautifully also yeah and like landing on the perfect spot and knowing where your body turns if you know your body turns this way so you have to turn that way so you don't land outside of the like the technical things inside any gymnast's brain when they're flipping doing seven billion flips in the air is just amazing before i bring up uh, SUNY, I do want to ask about the postseason, like the structure. How do we get here? Because you brought up the four teams that are like the top four now. So I was just like wondering then how would a team, like how much time is left for like SUNY team, like Auburn, because they're like fifth. Like how mm-hmm. much time is left for them to jump into the top four and like postseason structure? Like how do we? get there and then what does that mean okay yes so who makes it to postseason depends on the team national qualifying score which on the road to nationals website is the team nqs column Mm -hmm. um and so that's calculated i talked about this last time by the top six meets Mm -hmm. three of which have to be home meets take away the highest score and average the remaining five that gives you your team national qualifying score the top 36 at the end of the regular season, okay. top 36 make it into postseason. So currently right now, Maryland would be the last team in at yes. 36. Another Big Ten school. Okay. Yeah. They're everywhere. There's quite a few of them <laughs> making names for themselves. Okay. Um, yeah. So 36 get in. So the first round is regionals. There are three days of competition in regionals. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets messy so the top so there are four regional sites 
36 teams divided by four regionals is nine. So nine schools are assigned to each regional site. Okay, the top two, top two, top three, top four. Oh dear. I think it's the top four. The top four teams, top four times four, six. We need Mitch Oso here to help me <laughs> with this math. <laughs> so the top 16, okay. Top 16 overall teams mm -hmm. in the national qualifying score are assigned based on seed okay. um, to the regional site. So if you're in the top 16, you're going to be kind of placed, you know, the top team gets placed with the number 16 team, you know, like depending on where your seed is, you might get like an easier placement. The remaining teams are placed at regionals geographically. So Back in 2018, I attended my first regional competition ever. My first college gymnastics meet ever was regionals in 2018. There happened to be a regional site at Ohio State. And so Ohio State was there. Bowling Green gymnasts were there. Um, there were a lot of kind of local Pittsburgh, you know, Pitt teams. Um, but there was also UCLA. Because UCLA was one of the top seeded teams. And they, based on their seed, were assigned to the Ohio State Regional. So you kind of have a blend. That's why I don't really like calling it regionals because it's kind of a blend of region versus just being the first round of national competition for the top teams. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So nine teams per regional site. Top four are seeded. The rest are assigned geographically. The number eight and number nine ranked teams in each regional on the first day of regional competitions, they do a dual meet and it's a play-in. So it's mm. just a dual meet, do or die. The winner of the dual meet at the end of that first day moves on to the regional semifinals. And then the other one goes home. The other goes home. The other is eliminated. That's day one of regionals. Day two of regionals, there are two semifinals. So now we're left with eight teams per regional site. They're split up into two different sessions. The four seeded teams are placed two and two. And each of them have a meet with four teams. Mm -hmm. Out of each semifinal, the top teams then move on to the final. So with like the top four teams in each spot, like because I'm reading the stuff now and it has like the selection show. So kind of like selection show for like men's and women's march madness and like basketball and i know with like the top seeds they try and place them geo geographically where they would have better chance for their fans to come for like a home field mm -hmm. advantage do they do the same for women's gymnastics hmm. or That's does an like interesting question or does it not matter they're just like all right you're going to arkansas you're going to los Angeles. like does it matter or do they try and help the top seeds fan bases hmm I think it kind of depends. I think it's more based on sending the top teams to where the seed is going to be best. And they may try to kind of optimize things geographically as much as they can. It doesn't necessarily seem to be like the biggest priority. Um, a lot of really passionate gymnastics fans will do anything for their teams and travel anywhere, which is kind of cool to see. Yeah, it might be a factor a little bit, and there's definitely been criticism in the past. Um, I think 
a couple of teams last year got put in really impossible seated situations. So there were a couple of top 10 teams or top eight teams that weren't able to make it to nationals just because of their performance and just because of their seed. Like they had to eliminate each other early on just because of how the structure worked out. So much like March Madness, there can be like a tough seed that you get thrown that can really trip you up on your way to the national finals. So, so yeah. with the 36 teams then, and I just saw that, which is actually interesting, which may be looking at the selection show being on March 22nd, that might be a episode. We do a live recording and not reactions on those things maybe, but oh, that would be fun. So if like a Northern Illinois, they are 37, mm-hmm. they are point X away from Maryland. How much, how many meets are left for them to potentially try and jump Maryland? Like if they go out, like how much competing is left? Oh, there's a lot. There's, okay. um, like I said, we're about halfway through the season. Um, there's still time. Okay. And I don't know, um, I would have to look at the numbers a little bit more, but depending on the circumstances of the teams, mm-hmm. some some teams have more opportunity to jump than others. So like Utah State, for example, has a couple of really low scores. Like they had one really tough meet um, and then they had another recent not as easy meet. Um, so they got like a 194 and a 195. All they need to do is score another 120, 126 or 196. And like one of those low scores goes and leaves. And then there are also other things going on with like some, some teams will do all of their home meets really early in the season. Some will pack all their home meets toward the end of the season just with how the schedule works out. And remember, you need at least three away meets to factor into your national qualifying score. So there's so many different factors that go in. Um, there's a lot that can happen. There's a lot of volatility that can happen, but it's all kind of on a school by school basis because there's so many pieces that go into calculating that score. Has COVID affected any of the meets? Like, do they still have, do have, have any of them been canceled, rescheduled? Like, how is that going to yes. play to this end of like this last stretch? Yes. So I guess one thing to mention is uh, this was the first week that the national qualifying score came into effect because it kind of has taken this long for meet or for schools to have six teams. At the very beginning of the season, at kind of the height of Omicron, there were a massive number of meets being canceled every week, um, whether it was because of actual team issues or issues in the opponents, like one team not being able to host a meet and, you know, knock out an entire group of, um, like an entire group of teams. So this affected Utah State at one point this season. They were able to um, jump into a tri-meet that was already happening down in Arizona. So for the non-COVID affected teams, um, especially at the beginning of the season, other teams have been really good at inviting those affected teams to join their other meets. Um, There are a couple of teams that had to shut down and cancel meets. So like Boise State comes to mind. They weren't in action until week four because they had so much COVID unluckiness. And I think most of them have plans to make up those meets at some point. So for a while, especially at the beginning of the season, it was looking like it was going to be a problem. But 
as the season goes on, um, things have gotten better. Meets have been getting more reliably happening. Um, and it does look like things are going to shake out well by the end of the season. So that's exciting. When you went to that meet, did you have to, like, what were the restrictions? Was it mask? Was, did you have to come on a vaccine card? Like, uh, so I live in Utah. So, um, so there weren't many. So last mm-hmm. night or last Friday, this past weekend, when I went, there were no restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very beginning of the season, when I went um, to the Oklahoma Utah meet, there was a mask mandate in Salt Lake County, which is where Salt Lake City is. So everyone was wearing masks then. But uh, for the most part, there aren't as many restrictions in Utah. Um, and I know that was a problem last year, like in terms of what various teams were able to do and how much teams were able to practice. So for example, UCLA had a really rough season last year because in California, there's just higher population density. They, um, like as a state, they're kind of collectively more on board with more COVID restrictions. And so they ended up missing a ton of practices. And same with Cal, same with Stanford. So the uh, COVID effect has varied a lot by school and by team. It's good, good to know. So also we had, speaking of Auburn, because they have a very well-known gymnast on their team right now, a Miss Suni Lee. I just saw that recently she won every event she was in and they Mm -hmm. beat Georgia for the second time, like ever. Yes. So how is she doing right? Well, she just won all four events of the thing. Outside of that, how is she doing as she has her Uh, team in fifth place right now? Yes, she does. Definitely. And I think um, just her being on the team, Auburn's kind of been another team on the rise. You Mm -hmm. know, they're in that SEC. They're they're just always been a pretty good, solid team. Um, But I think like the energy that's come with having SUNY there has been huge. I think in the outline I sent you, I mentioned the SUNY effect, which mm-hmm. um, is what the gym internet refers to as the uh, massive influx of fans coming to watch Auburn meets. Oh, um, so SAC people have always loved their gymnastics, but it's just over the top now that SUNY's in the picture. So SUNY got kind of a slower start to the season than some of the other Olympians. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that she was on Dancing with the Stars. She had a lot more kind of those media responsibilities that she had to take care of earlier on, but she's really, um, she's really come into her own as a college gymnast. And um, just in my experiences watching her, I don't think she's at her peak as an NCAA gymnast yet. She is hitting the big numbers. She's doing awesome. She's just so much fun to watch. Um, And so she's definitely one to keep watching. Also, I did, um, before we go into the other stuff, I wanted to ask too with, I guess more or less her, I mean, she already has like endorsements and all that. Do you see Mm -hmm. a lot of like gymnasts taking advantage of name, image, and likeness? Or has it not crossed over there as much? Or like, how is that looking? It is massive. The NIL is massive in college gymnastics because, you know, it's been a discussion for a long time. Like the amateur rule in NCAA affects gymnasts a lot because a lot of their earning potential and star power potential happens when they're at Olympic age, kind of before they go to college and when they're still living with their parents and kind of training in that way. 
So Jordan Weber, 2012 Olympic champion, went pro, wasn't able to do college gymnastics, and was the equipment manager for UCLA for four years. That's wild. Yeah. So, so much is happening for them. Like, obviously, SUNY got to do Dancing with Stars and was paid a pretty petty for that. Um, Jade Carey, I think, recently had one NIL deal, just one NIL deal. I forget who it was with, but just one deal she made was like $200,000. But the gymnast that's actually the highest earner is an LSU gymnast named Olivia Dunn. Um, People just call her Libby. She has the highest social media following of any athlete. I'm pretty sure it's any athlete, male or female. And she has an agent. She uh, had a billboard in Times Square at one point. um, And she's just making bank, um, which is awesome to see. So it's definitely a big deal. And I think the huge influx and the huge growth that we saw in or and have been seeing in NSAID and gymnastics right now, I think it's only going to continue because more gymnasts aren't going to have to make that choice of making money when they're the most profitable versus going to college. That is very nice. Very nice on that. So actually with SUNY, this actually goes into one of the other things before we, I guess, go from happy to serious. Yes. Um, so the reason I brought up SUNY to segue into this is because her story actually is kind of the same thing of what happened to UCLA, her individual story. I don't know. I thought I sent you this a long time ago. Maybe I didn't. If I didn't, I didn't. I apologize. But SUNY also stated that she was getting a whole bunch of hate um, because of her relationship with a Jalen Smith, who is African-American. So she was getting backlash from her own community about mm-hmm. that um, relationship which also segues into some of these stuff from UCLA about the racial justice. So first with the SUNY stuff, when you saw or heard that, what were your initial thoughts? Well, it was really sad, of course. And I think, and it's not, you know, the first, this isn't the first story and the first thing we've heard from SUNY in terms of dealing with racism, you know, the backlash she was getting um, for, you know, dating her boyfriend was um, from the Hmong community, which I can't really speak to. I haven't had a lot of experience with the Hmong community. But she also, um, I think around November, December, she came out with a story talking about how she was out with her friends who were other Asian Americans, and um, they received some anti-Asian hate Mm -hmm. and slurs and, and stuff like that. So she's kind of been experiencing racism as a woman of color from you know a couple different angles um and it's just really sad to see and yeah i don't really know what else to say about it it's just sadness is mostly what i feel i think a line that suny said which goes it goes for every athlete it doesn't even go for every athlete it goes for anyone working or anything of that nature where uh, they support her. Well, she said they support me when it's be- beneficial for them. Never mm-hmm. when it comes to my happiness. 
So that's something that all, I mean, every athlete, even people who work, I mean, your boss is supporting you because obviously if you're doing good, you're under them, which makes them do good. But then once you try to look elsewhere, there's no support for you. Usually, yeah. especially with athletes, like especially Olympians, where you go, you're representing the country, you're wearing the American flag. So these pe- these same people are cheering for you. But then when you're not wearing that flag and not showing that America's the best or whatever, then they don't like you anymore. So I think that's just something people need to think about that. Obviously, these people, SUNY especially, or Simone, or any gymnast, has any athlete has put their whole life's work into this stuff, but this is not their life. Like, they still have a life outside of gymnastics. They're still normal people, normal feelings, and I think people need to respect that. Yeah, absolutely, and especially as gymnastics gets bigger and college gymnastics gets bigger more of these women are going to be thrusted into the spotlight and Mm -hmm. opened up to criticism and such. And so I just hope that people can be respectful and that the appropriate supports can be in place to really just help these people get through it. Because also not forget, like these are 18 year old, 19 year old Mm -hmm. gymnasts when they first start at college. So they're still learning as much as, any other freshman in college. So that's something else to keep in mind. So then going from that to the dumpster fire that was UCLA, because I've yes. caught up on that and that was a raging hot dumpster fire. And then from me reading the article you sent like three, four times, there was a lot of bad leadership decisions from a whole bunch of people in my opinion but this was because where were they preseason like supposed to be were they supposed to be good yes so ucla was one of the teams i talked about at the um, beginning of the season when we did Mm -hmm. our season preview as having one of the most talented highest ranked incoming freshman classes so jordan childs Olympian Mm -hmm. from 2021 on UCLA team on the UCLA team. There were also a couple really top Canadian gymnasts. So Brooklyn Morris was at the Olympics this year or this past year. Um, Anna Potterari was another Canadian gymnast who wasn't at the Olympics, but she was world silver medalist on balance beam a couple years ago. Emma Emma Malibuyo is another freshman there this year who was an Olympic alternate. There were, There was just this massive number of talented athletes coming in, as well as a massive number of talented athletes who were already there. People like Margzetta Frazier, people like Nora Flatley. Um, They're a top tier team. They have the ability to be in the top four. Last season, they didn't do super well. Um, A lot of it was COVID related. A lot of it was um, kind of transition from their old head coach to their new head coach kind of things. But they were kind of expected to really bounce back. Um, and people were expecting a really good year for UCLA. So I just want to, I guess, go bit by bit from the Los Angeles Times yes. article that will be in the description box for y'all to check out. So first part. So like this riff started with 
that Frazier and a fellow senior, Nora, is her name Nora with an H? Yes. Wow, that is new. Uh, flatly. <laughs> so they it's tweeted. No wrong. There's nothing wrong with an H. There isn't, H but I've just head. never seen it. <laughs> uh, so they tweeted at their UCLA athletic director. Oh, man, he's a namesake. Uh, Martin <laughs> Jamond to help on January 20th. So my first thing. Is, I don't know if college and high school have changed so much, but I thought like you could just go to your athletic director instead of tweeting at them or is, <laughs> or is tweet, or do you have to tweet it now to really light a fire in them? Because then they, people who are seeing what's going on, start going in their mentions. That was my first thing. Yeah. So my understanding is that the, um, the tweet that Nora made asking the head athletic director to intervene was kind of a last resort. Okay. Um, they had been trying to get a hold of him for a really, really long time um, to get him to address the situation. Yeah. Um, the actual drama and like, oh, I don't want to call it drama because I think that is kind of has a negative connotation that doesn't mm -hmm. let it be as serious, but the, conflict really started escalating my understanding was back in november kind of in preseason, before things really started and everything just kind of escalated from there so then you send the tweet out we are saddened that we're exhausted every avenue which nor assess to have this issue addressed and not have heard or seen from you in over three months i don't how are you an athletic director and you don't see him for three months please respond to the email i sent you and it had like over 2,000 likes, 115 replies. And looks like that worked because the second year athletic director met with the gymnast Tuesday, two days after they finished second in the tri meet against Oregon State and UC Davis. So Martin meets with them. He thinks everything's honky dory. Things are not honky dory still. They're not. So what happens after, and then he, uh, of course, UCLA Athletics makes a tweet from uh, Martin Jamon. He's like, the health, well, safety of our student athletes are always a priority. And then the usual spiel. So after this happens, what happens, Sarah? Oh, goodness. So the, the tweet that was sent out by the head athletic director, uh, I mean, like you're, you read it, you know, like, over the last three and a half months, we've proactively engaged the support of campus and external experts on the equity, diversity, and inclusion, incidents of bias, mental health, and communication, blah, blah, blah. It's two paragraphs of overly diplomatic word salad, not addressing the concerns that the athletes had. So um, this was kind of what started this tweet by UCLA was kind of the first official communication that anybody had actually heard on the record from UCLA on this issue. And that was just kind of the last straw for a lot of people. That's when Margzetta Frazier and one of her uh, teammates decided to go to the media and start talking on the record. So um, when things, really kind of started publicly speaking was a week or so prior to this statement uh, is when a gymnast who was a freshman on the UCLA team 
really suddenly changed her status on social media from being a UCLA gymnast to being an LSU gymnast. And so that sparked a whole lot of speculation, a whole lot of rumors and all sorts of things. So. So is that also the same gymnast where we've gone from real to bad to you think team chemistry is bad and just goes to dog poo explosion where um, several gymnasts heard a teammate who wasn't black singing lyrics that include the N-word. Other teammates heard about the incident, approached the gymnast, asked her to seek an apology. That gymnast is not doing anything wrong, and that's already a bad, whole lot of bad team chemistry and yeah. friendship. So you go from that, um, they take their concerns to the third-year coach, Chris Waller and senior associate athletic director, Cristiano Rivera. So my other thing too, is if she's the senior athletic director, why didn't they go to her for the first thing? If they couldn't get to Martin. I'm not sure about like all of the, like who all they went to. Um, I think Martin is like the top, like very top tippy top. Um, And I think, she is kind of the level below him, but yeah. So the gymnast, um, to answer kind of, I think I heard a question in there to answer your question, that gymnast in question, mm-hmm. um, who, um, was using the N word and was asked to stop and refused. And essentially that was the gymnast who transferred. So then you go from the coaches talking about mental health of that gymnast and telling the other teammates to be more tolerant then proceed to prioritizing the non-Black gymnast concerns over the Black gymnast concerns. Obviously, that's going to already add tension. Like, you're not – at this point, you don't have a team anymore. Anyone reading from the outside looking in, because now you're not even – obviously, some teams you might like, oh, you favorite the star player, in this case, star gymnast. But this now you're – some people are saying you're favoriting a race of gymnasts on your team over another race. So that's already – that's bad for the team chemistry. That's bad for the school press. It's just bad all around. Yeah. And I think something that kind of adds insult to injury here is like um, one thing I, I guess like to add some context to this whole situation. Um, first of all, this sort of thing happens and people have been speaking out. Gymnast has been speaking out about this sort of thing in NCAA programs for a long time. So there was a gymnast back in 2020 um, named Tia Kyaku, um, who left. She was on the Alabama team, on one of the top teams in the country. She left in February, dropped out, transferred because of issues with racism on the team and the coaches not handling it well. Um, Kennedy Baker is a black gymnast who graduated from Florida and was a top gymnast in the country. Graduated in Florida in 2018. Also around the around 2020, she released a statement and a story about her experiences with racism on that team. What makes UCLA different? And of course, that's not to minimize anything. I just like to add context that this is a bigger problem than just UCLA. What makes this particularly sad, and I think what hurt a lot of fans, and I think what is especially hurting the gymnasts is that UCLA puts on a front of being a very progressive school and being like a very progressive team. Um, They 
have a lot of gymnasts whose routines have gone viral and have um, brought in a lot of um, money and a lot of excitement for the team. People like Mia Dennis, who's a Black woman, and Marzetta Frazier, who's a Black woman. This year, Sakaya Wright has been going viral to a certain extent. Um, a lot of viral sensations have been women of color from UCLA. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, last year, uh, UCLA's team put in a lot of work in terms of educating themselves and becoming more racially aware. Um, and as part of that, um, a couple of the women of color on the team designed a leotard that was a Black excellence leotard. And so it was like really beautiful. It had the Black power fist on the sleeves, and they had a Black power themed and Black excellence themed meat. Um, and they worked their tails off and worked really hard on like cultivating this image of being really supportive of racial justice issues. Mm-hmm. And to see that come together with this very clear indication that behind the scenes, that's not actually what's going on. I think that made it just particularly sad. And they, and I saw too that they were like, preseason like when you talked about they're ranked eighth in the country and they are not ace anymore at all yeah and they actually just had another really rough meet i think on sunday they had one of their worst showings ever they had three falls off of bars people who watched the meet said that the gymnast just looked really unfocused looked really unhappy didn't look like they trusted each other or anything and in something like gymnastics you need to feel safe mm-hmm. you know you need to feel safe in the gym you need to be feel safe with your team because if you're unhappy or feeling unsafe you know unsafe things can happen you're flipping through the air and risking your life to do this sport and being in a good mental place and a good emotional place is absolutely critical for that team chemistry and also that physical safety. So my last thing is with this team, what would you do? And oh, like, are you, are you firing it? Because I've seen people on coaching changes. Like, are there going to be a whole bunch of other UCLA girls transferring out from either side? Like, what would you do to try and, I don't know if it's even salvageable. I don't, for this season, but like next season, starting off with a fresh start, what are you doing? Gosh, honestly, well, me, I'm starting by replacing the coaching staff. I think earlier in the season, there could it could have been salvageable. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there could have been education that could have happened um, and ways everything could have been handled. Because like no matter how you feel about how UCLA handled the situation, you still have gymnasts of color who don't feel like they were listened to and supported and no matter what that is an indication of a problem so i think if leadership had intervened in more of a meaningful way it could have salvaged the situation but i think at this point there needs to be at least a change in head coach um i don't know if that'll happen but i would absolutely look into replacing the coaching staff what about Um, the athletic director do you get rid of him? I don't know. I I guess I have my opinions about the UC system because I used to be part of the UC system. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a graduate student at UC Irvine. And so I'm familiar with 
the University of California broadly relies a lot of, on its reputation and its name. And so the kind of statement that we saw coming from that athletic director is very much in line with what I've seen from other UC schools making statements about sort of things. So I don't think the buck stops with the lead athletic director. I think the problem goes farther up. And I don't know how to change that without totally revamping the organization of the University of California. I think the most important thing is making sure the individuals who are directly interacting with the gymnasts and who are tasked with making them stay safe and supporting them on a daily basis, I think that's where I would start. I think that's where the most important thing is. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, in the short term, definitely. I would love for larger scale culture change, cultural change to happen, but I don't think that is feasible to do within one season. Yeah, because I guess also once you make news like LA Times, you make national news, obviously your school looks bad. So then like the president of the school is like, what's going on? Like, how did it get to this point? Why was I not informed? Because then you have the president getting a whole bunch of calls from his bosses, the board of trustees, like, why, what's happening? Like, why are we having this bad press? Like, why weren't you on top of this? So I feel like scapegoat wise, someone's got to go. Like someone is, I don't know if it's going to be this summer or in the fall, but from a scapegoat wise, because you just can't have your team not even wanting to compete for you just because of the turmoil and how it all ended up like your team doesn't want to play for you anymore and there's nothing you can do about it and your team's more waiting for this season to be over so they don't have to be around each other anymore so that's just bad team chemistry there's a lot of mess ups all around and then they just they wasted a talented team definitely and i there are a lot of opinions that circulate about like whether gymnasts should transfer i think I think it's hard because UCLA is such a good school, like mm -hmm. academically. Um, and if you have a scholarship to be there, I mean, why would you walk away from that? I, I, I don't know about like, I don't think that's a good way to put it, but like, I don't think it's fair to put it on the gymnast to walk away from an opportunity like that. What I do think will be interesting to see is how this affects recruitment. Like I think oh, any- that's absolutely. I think anybody who's committed to UCLA right now is probably rethinking it, especially if those gymnasts who are committing are women of color, because um, I think, yeah, I think it's not a good situation to be walking into right now as okay. a recruit. Yeah. Cause I mean, if I'm watching, if I'm a, top high school gymnast and I'm watching all that unfold and I'm like, why would I want to go there in that toxic environment where they don't want to play for each, for each other. And the coaches, I was like, that's nah. like, I'm not going to go be with that coach or those girls right now. I can go somewhere else and have a much better experience. So that could be also another reason why they might have to fire the coaching staff, get a new coaching staff. They implement 
their new message, salvage whatever recruits would still want to come, saying we're not those old coaches, we care. It's like it's a lot of things that they're going to have to think about going into the offseason because they have they don't have a shot to make the tournament, do they? They might. Okay. Um, let's see, where are they ranked right now? Um, UCLA, UCLA. Okay, they're they're in it. They're in it. 18th right now. Do they I think they could go? absolutely I think they could absolutely make regionals if they show up and do what they're capable of doing at regionals. I think they can make it to nationals. The thing um, is, they want to. I don't know. We shall see. But regardless of what happens, regardless of what the final result is, I think there's damage that's been done, and I don't think it's going to be easy to fix. Agreed. And it's just, again, it's just like particularly sad for people who saw UCLA as a school that, you know, did have a good head on its shoulders with regards to race and things like that. Agreed. Sarah, anything else? Oh, gosh. Um, do I have anything else? Um, just Shout out to Utah State, my team. The MRGC um, Mountain Room Gymnastics Conference, um, like I said, has four teams in it. Boise State, Utah State, Southern Utah, and BYU. All four of them are in the top 20 or 25. Yeah, top 25. MRGC championships are going to be really, really exciting this year because um, all of the teams are really, really evenly matched. And that's super fun to see. So... Again, I will say that if anybody wants to get involved with an easy-to-follow conference, the MRGC is a great place to start because there's a lot of free streaming opportunities. Um, and Utah State is a team that I have grown to very much love. So in addition to all of the top teams, don't count out teams like Utah State and BYU um, and Boise State doing also really great work and great gymnastics. Anything else? That's all. Well, thank you, Sarah, for giving us that great detailed insight on what's going on in women's gymnastics as things are obviously heating up. Uh, selection show, March 22nd, 2022. They don't have a time on the site yet, but definitely... We'll have to cover that and figure out how we're going to do that because that'd be really cool doing it as is as they're coming on. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listeners, wherever you're listening on Spotify, Apple, Google, Radio Play, YouTube, wherever. We appreciate you guys. And hopefully everyone, as we are ending the month of February and getting out of those winter storms, hopefully March is a better month weather-wise, depending on where you're living. Absolutely. And with that being said, thank you everyone for listening to the L7C signing out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the L7C podcast. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all social media platforms, and we'll be talking to you guys soon. Take care.